The co-host hails originally from Namibia, raised in Uppington in the Northern Cape. In 2014, he was a Mandela Washington Fellow based and stationed at Dartmouth College. He has over 10 years' experience in social enterprise development. He's a debater, of course, where I first met him in 2008. He wasn't much of opposition, but he will have you believe otherwise. He is also many things, and right now he is currently reading towards his Master's in Philosophy in International Business with the Gordon Institute of Business. Of course, it is at Tux. More about him in a short while, but let's hear his voice. I'm Anissa, good evening. Anything you want to dispute in that introduction? <laughs> I, I think the one thing that you didn't say and that you didn't tell the listeners, Tungani, was the fact that the first time I met you in a debate, it was in a semi-final, and we beat you. Oh, um, I'm not, not so sure I remember that debate because I've never <laughs> dealt with you in a semi-final. I've been in two semi-final debates, one with Stellenbosch University, in fact, two with Stellenbosch Wait, University. Wait, was it a quarter-final? I, it was a Either quarter-final. way, I advanced to the semis. <laughs> Either way, I advanced to the semis. Indeed, the final. It's great catching up with you, Mklanganisi. Much sure. appreciated for your being always available on our platform. And I suppose now, let's just take off our hats as analysts. Let's get to sure. know you, introduce yourself now to the listeners. What are you busy with? I know you had many entrepreneurial endeavors. The last time I spoke to you, you talked to me about your massive losses and you are in a way licking your wounds, in a way you are recovering, but at the same time, you are picking up valuable experience that can only stand you in good stead to get back into private practice. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you very much for having me. Um, so, So I've been lucky and I think this is the value of a great network and and a network of people who have been absolutely amazing. Um, and that's why even for this segment, I thought about many of the things that I wanted to speak about. And I realized that I have a great network of people who are doing amazing work. Um, a little bit of background uh, about me. I come from Uppington in the Northern Cape. I grew up at Uppington, Danfunde Venolanga Primary School. And I went to Pabalelo High School, the University of the Free State, and then up until I, I got to a point where I'm sitting where I'm sitting with you this evening. Um, I'm a keen jazz listener. I love jazz music. Actually, I love all kinds of music. Um, I'm very passionate about business and business specifically around the creation of value. So how do you capture value? How do you create value? And how do you make value sustainable? As a result, I've always been fascinated about the concept of trade. How do people trade? Where do people trade? Um, the history of trade. I read up quite a bit on the Silk Road, for instance, um, and how the Silk Road at some point also reached Mapungubwe. And so there's absolute value in understanding how we interact with each other um, to exchange value um, at a price, at a cost, or whatever the case may be. And so I've always been curious about business. Um, my first foray in business is, of course, uh, a tech startup that we built a few years ago, and the thesis was simple. We're going to develop an app that's going to allow people to order their alcohol online. <laughs> would have been a massive business right now with the COVID times. Um, and there we were just out sprinted. You know, we had the great market, we had a great value proposition, but we were out sprinted. Um, and so I've been able and I've been lucky enough is that even though I'd failed from a business point of view, have been able to actually work with developing entrepreneurs. And I'm counting now 70 entrepreneurs over a period of six years from rural parts of South Africa and urban parts of South Africa with great partners. 
with helping them think about what it means to develop business from idea up until to a phase where you actually have the first paying customer. Um, we're looking at about 400,000 rand um, in capital raised. We started this project in Uppington, where I come from, and that's why it's called the Desert Startup Bootcamp. So these are the things that have always kept me going. I am currently reading towards, as you were mentioning, a master's in international business. Um, I'm curious about, and the South African landscape is the most interesting one. I'm curious about the fact that South Africa has multinationals that are old enough to have institutional knowledge uh, um, and to be able to compete internationally, but that are young enough to, for us to a point where we can actually research how those businesses went overseas in the first place. And the findings are, are fascinating. So that's what I'm doing currently. Um, I'm back in consulting. Um, I do a lot of work in consulting. I'm privileged enough in an economy like this to be an associate partner at a really great management consultancy firm. So consulting, I'm the head of business and revenue, um, responsible for strategic marketing and business development there. So these are the caps that I wear. These are the caps that that excite me. I am, of course, a father um, and a budding family man. So those are the people that the, and the projects that keep my my time my time occupied from God. I don't know how well fed the cattle in the Northern Cape are, but we'll have a conversation <laughs> about your being a budding father. I mean, you're, you're being a budding family man. It can only mean one thing because you've confirmed that you're a father. You didn't <laughs> quite confirm that you're a husband. A conversation perhaps <laughs> to be held. I'm interested in the conversations around trade. I'm fortunate to have a Master's in International Trade Law from Marty's. But before we get into that, I just... I'm, 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 I'm puzzled by your referring to yourself as a failed business person. Why would you say that over and above everything that you have done, over and above everything that you are doing, and which is more the kind of impact that you have had in industry with young people who are now going to do some of the things that you have done or you have not done, but no, mm. if you had done, things would have been quite different. That sort of impact surely cannot constitute as failure. I actually wear failure as a as a badge of honor. I think as you I think, should. Yeah, I I think the mistake we make, and this is what sort of I guess curtails the entrepreneurship space in South Africa, is that we always think of failure as it's being fatal. Um, from those experiences, I've picked up a substantial amount of knowledge, a substantial amount of insights I never would have developed had I not built a business and I'd failed. Um, to a point where I apply the same principles now where I've bought a whole food truck and my brother and I are going to set up and the same principles around finding the right market, finding location, finding the right people are two principles I apply. And I mentioned failure because I want the taboo around failure in business to be one that's done away with. Um, very few entrepreneurs make and build a sustainable business in the first in the first try around and i think it's important to highlight that but also when you speak about failure the clear metric for business especially in a for-profit world is one that says we're making a profit we're bringing on people we're hiring people we just could not do that um in 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 in, in the business that we were running so as a result i'm always honest about that because those are clear metrics so failure in this instance is a great thing because it means that I've taken initiative, tried, failed, reconciled myself, taken a step back, learned different lessons, gone back in in a different way, 
but also failure means that we're realistic about what it means to run a business and what is required for you to run a business and the honest conversation that you must have um, with yourself about what it means to set up a business. Okay, I suppose this is as good a time then to engage in Flanganisi yourselves. We haven't much time whilst he is on the platform talking to me because in just a little under seven minutes from now, it will be his show for the next half an hour and then it will be our show in the new hour until closing Johannesburg, 714-2006. Please call that number if you want to ask specifically to Mklanganese or pointed questions around your business ventures. We're going to focus a little bit now in the absence of engagements from yourselves on the question of trade. And of course, dare I forget, you can always send your WhatsApp num- your WhatsApp voice notes and messages. Remember the rules. We've been through this now close to two years, but we do it again for ease of reference. <laughs> Under a minute, no background noise or dogs doing funny things or you doing funny things worse in the wherever you might be. Let's just keep it clean, respectful at all times. Don't hold anything back in relation to your thoughts. Planganese, let's talk trade. Yep. The Ghanaian president is on record in now his second terms that he wants to do little with the West, with Europe, and indeed China. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you recall some four years ago when he first started as a president, he focused on the fact that, and he was standing next to Macron when he said, Africa and aid do not work as a philosophy, as a business, what have you, as a political, anything to do with aid and development financing without any conditions attached to it. He's on the record of saying that Africa has, for that reason, been kept where she is. The question is, which I agree with him, how then do we galvanize the African states who are now part of the African Continental Free Trade Agreement and more, those who are not part of it, to participate Establish the kinds of rules in negotiating the rounds. I think the second round is underway now or soon to be. What should the African nations focus on for the purposes of starting what will qualify as indeed the biggest free trade agreement in the world? And if you like, the African nations owning their destiny and always now moving away from the handout narrative that we have always been a part of, and indeed creating something that we can own and then sell as a finished product to nations outside. So so a couple of things, and I want to take you a step back, Bungan. Um, I've always thought about Africa's development from a very simplistic and a rudimentary sort of point of view. I don't know if we will be able to trade if we can barely keep the lights on. Um, I don't know if we will be able to trade if we have trucks sitting at our border posts for four, five, six days at a go because we just can't process them easily enough. And I think that, for me, is the first sort of kind of questions and problem that we need to solve when we're looking at the concept of trade. But actually, that's where the African Free Trade Agreement becomes a very interesting one, because now we're going to have lofty ideals around what it means to trade, what concessions mean, Um, what tariff duties mean, and I think that's what the second round is actually looking at now in terms of of excites and tariffs and everything else. Mm. I don't know if we're going to be able to have that conversation if at the very next stage we're going to be confronted by the infrastructure challenges. But I think that actually is the opportunity in it all, in that we are now going to be forced to think about what trade means and the infrastructure that supports trade. Now, already... Once we look at the infrastructure that supports trade, we then look at a benefit and a net benefit for people around the continent. So if you're going to have cocoa, for instance, 
that goes from Accra to, to the DRC, mm. you're going to have to have a road that's going to go from Accra to the DRC. Or you're going to have the, to have the right ports and the right ports authority. Constructed um, by Africans and African uh, companies. Exactly. And that's then going back into the value chain. Mm. So I do think that the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, in principle, is a really great opportunity to actually force us to think about the basics of what it means to basically have uh, a, 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 a space that's conducive for entrepreneurs. And I think when we speak about confidence from an entrepreneurship point of view, mm. these are the very things that we speak about to say, as an entrepreneur, if I want to set up a water use license, I shouldn't be waiting for two years, but that's currently what's happening. Yeah, and right. as a result, those are the things that affect um, sort of investor confidence in inverted commas. And so those are the things that the free trade agreement has us thinking about. So I do want us as a, as a country, South Africa firstly, to think about what it means for us to, to, to trade and to trade freely with the rest of the continent, but also how do we facilitate that trade going forward. I'm going to ask one final question in the context sure. of trade and then we're going to continue the conversation with sure. you after the break, where yeah. then you will take over. Indeed, everybody who has joined us after we started with Mr. Mshanganisi Madlongolwana, Associate Partner, Strategic Marketing, Revenue and Market Expansion and ESO Consulting. We've had them a few times here, so it's a great organization where Mshanganisi is at. I'll tell you more about his biography later, but we have a minute and a half left of my engagement with him. After that, he will introduce his guest himself after the break. Mshanganisi, trade. All of what you say largely is predicated on the strength of African political institutions. Political institutions because, and we're going to get in that conversation in just over half an hour from now, Uganda's going through for an election. The incumbent yeah. has already enjoyed six terms. His main opposition party, his main opposition just today had his security detail arrested. Himself has been arrested a few times. Do we have a political climate that is conducive for Africans to be African? Do we have a conducive political climate where competition, particularly in politics, is treated as an asset as opposed to it being treated as something of the kind that relates to sedition? And which is more, do we have the political instruments that are sufficiently girded from personnel engaging the institutions as though they own the institutions? In other words, mm. are the institutions sufficiently insulated from personalities? So, had you asked this question 20 years ago, I probably would have said no. Um, my, my distinct feeling currently is that whether or not those institutions function is immaterial. And I'll tell you why that's immaterial, is that they are no longer the ones necessarily controlling the discourse. So discourse is happening. Whether or not it's happening through those in institutions is a different story. Discourse is happening in social media, and that's why we're seeing a lot of political sort of machinery actually looking to shut down social media, or how, for instance, we've had a whole debate around whether or not Donald Trump should be banned from social media, because that's where discourse is taking place. Um, discourse is taking place in communities, and communities are organizing much better. So a short answer to your question, no, we don't, but I think citizens and across the continent are organizing themselves in a way that 
discourse is no longer centered through uh, sort of government institutions as the only institution. And the Uganda example is a great one. I went to, I I was lucky to do a course on pluralism and and development with a satirist from Uganda, Spire. Spire writes and he draws quite openly about, about the Ugandan president and the politics in Uganda. And although mainstream media is not allowed to carry his material, social media carries his material way beyond Uganda. And so we're always up to date around the discourse in Uganda, around what's happening in Uganda, and we're able to find information in different ways. So our hyper-connectedness is actually brilliant in that we, of course, are able to share information and engage each other going forward. So these institutions are now forced to catch up on the narrative, are forced to catch up on the discourse. And I think that's, for me, what what 20 years ago we did not have, that mm-hmm. we have now. Okay, what I propose to do then is we're going to take a short break in Planganese. After the ad break, as I have said to you, don't wait for me. Get on with the show because your guest is on the line waiting for you. There have been a couple of messages that have been sent for this particular segment. I propose that we engage those questions to you in the new hour so that we don't compromise further the time that is already limited with mm. your guest. Ladies and gentlemen, I am now going to just take a break, probably go take a smoke break, not that I do smoke. Mr. Planganese Matlongolwana is going to be your guest, or rather is going to be your host after the short head break.